That was a good one. It yeah. like gets better every time you do it. Every time, man. Surprise! <laughs> Belated birthday present. This dude's been grinding since day one. Yeah, and it's something like, who are these dipshits? Exactly. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Grindcasters, welcome to the show. This is the Grind and Gain Show. Before we get started, Andrew, I got a quick question for you. Shoot. Who is your favorite sales and marketing director of all time? Super simple, easy answer. It's the unofficial mayor of Atlanta, Joey Godfrey. Joey Godfrey, huh? So why do you say that? He understands people, knows how to build relationships. He's a networking guru, and 100%, he would give you the shirt off his back in the middle of an ice storm. (laughs) <laughs> wow, sounds like a great guy. I'd, uh, I'd really like to meet him. Well, lucky for you, Christmas came early because he's right here. Oh my goodness, Joey, welcome to the show, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> we're, we're good. We're really good at this <laughs> Good thing you have an edit. Yeah. Joey, sales and marketing director at Atlanta Beverage. Can you tell us what Atlanta Beverage does? Yeah. So to the average person, it's a little bit confusing. So everybody's like, oh, you work for Anheuser-Busch. This is great. So we sell, obviously sell Anheuser-Busch products. So there's a three-tier system in Georgia that goes from uh, supplier to wholesaler to uh, route to market to the convenience store, liquor store, on-premise account, bar, whatever. So um, it's kind of a dedicated sales job. You can't... uh, other, other people can't come in and sell in our territory. So it's kind of dedicated, but it's a lot of volume. And we pretty much sell alcohol, which is really fun at times. And also a curse if you're dieting or trying to lose weight or something. So um, <laughs> it's fun though. So um, yeah, we just sell the beer. We sell, we're the guys who make sure the beer gets to where you purchase it at, basically. If I buy any Anheuser-Busch products, basically in Atlanta, it comes through you. Absolutely. One way or another. So um, it either comes through, you buy it at the, the convenience store, you buy it at the liquor store, or if you go and consume it in an on-premise account. Some of the smaller on-premise accounts will go buy their own beer, but then they buy it at the liquor store. So they're still buying it from us. So um, it's, uh, yeah, it's if you buy it, and there's another large distributor in Atlanta called Eagle Rock Distributing, and they pretty much cover the east side of Atlanta all the way up, pretty much a line Dude, up. When you're, de- when you're describing this, it's making me think like gang wars, turf wars. You got the <laughs> east side, you got the west side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, anybody who's been in sales knows that uh, dedicated sales is a lot better than cold call sales. So we don't do any cold call sales and we're selling something that people want to drink. So I always tell people like, you know, yeah, you know, we, I, we sell 12 million cases of beer a year, but you know, a lot of it is, uh, you know, just order taking. It's stuff that, you know, people are going to call an order anyway, whether we have the sales team out or not. So it's a lot of uh, like very heavy networking, heavy relationships, like building those relationships and then just keeping those customers happy. Yeah. I mean, on my end, so I deal a lot with the sponsorships and venues and all the marketing. If, if you see billboards around town that we strategically place, uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of networking and it's a lot of networking, not just with customers, but with city officials and promoters and people that have been in and out of the industry and or still have a say so in it. Um, it it's a lot of uh, 
a lot of different people that you have to know and have to be able to deal with. It's big business. And when you say on premise, that means that I have to drive into my car or Uber, I guess, if I'm being safe and I got to drink it on site, right? Yeah, that's so funny because uh, every, everybody catches me outside the industry saying on premise and off premise and acting like people know what that means. Well, yeah. So off premise is if you take it out of the store in the full box and take it home, that's off premise. On premise is consumption on their property. So it's two different license types. And Georgia's really strict as far as the way the licensing works. So as far what I understand is like, so you're going around to a lot of bars, then you're going around to a lot of bars, clubs, working with those type of that, that's your clientele. Yeah. So for me, uh, I, I love a challenge and you know, the, the beer industry's evolved over, well, the whole alcohol industry's evolved over the past decade, uh, 12 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, there was none of these craft breweries. The place we're sitting in wasn't even thought of, you know, uh, the way you consumed alcohol was just completely different. Now it's, uh, it's a lot harder for big box beers. And when I say big box, I mean like, uh, Bud Light, Budweiser, McUltra, Miller, Coors. Um, they're constantly losing share throat to all different types of things. Uh, high end spirits, wine, seltzers. The seltzers came out in the past year, just this huge craze. Um, you know, canned wine, carbonated wine, champagne. Like people are diversifying what they drink. And it's also not as cool now to drink as much as you used to, like it used to be. Like guys used to go out and belly up to a bar at five o'clock in the afternoon when they got off of work and they'd drink 10 beers at the bar. Well, that's pretty much unheard of now. People go out, they'll have a beer, a cocktail. And then go home. You know, it's it's not Miller Coors together in the United States. Still doesn't equal the sales of Bud Light. So if you're the if you're the captain leader, you're going to be the one to take the biggest hit when people start diversifying what they drink. So, so if I'm a bar, restaurant, nightclub owner, and I have, you know, how are you convincing me that I need to have your product on my shelves? Now these days, it is 100% relationship. So. Um, any of these high-end places around town, especially in Atlanta, they don't have to sell Bud Light to be open, to be sustainable. They don't have to sell anything. There's no one liquor, not even Tito's, not even Grey Goose, uh, not even Corona or Heineken, any big alcohol you know, they don't have to carry that to be successful. And uh, our business model years ago is based on, hey, you know, they have to carry Bud Light. So they're going to call us, you know, because, man, they can't open the doors without Bud Light. Well, that's just not the case anymore. And there's a bunch of spots around town that we have cultivated a relationship over the years. And um, that that's how we drive the sales is through that relationship and through service. We uh, we we offer, you know, top of the line service, you know, as far as bringing beer on a day that wouldn't necessarily be your delivery day or fixing something you screwed up or coming out. I uh, I've taken beer out at you know, midnight on a Friday night before I've gone, I got up Sunday and taken beer to an account. Just over the years, I've just learned the things you do to, to offer impeccable customer service. And, you know, once people realize that you're, uh, you know, they can count on you, then it becomes a lot easier. So it sounds like, uh, I mean, you're just constantly working all the time. You're doing whatever you can to please these clients. Where did that, that hard work, that hard work ethic originate? Where did that come from? Do you think? Well, it's kind of funny. I've always like, I've, I've felt like my entire life, I've always had to prove people wrong. Um, whether it be, 
when I was younger with sports or, you know, when I was getting into the, uh, the, into the work world, I've always felt like people are always like, oh, well, you know, he's going to fail. You know, he doesn't, doesn't know what he's doing. He's never done that before. And that is honestly my motivation. I, if, if you want me to do something, tell me it can't be done or tell me that I can't do it. And I guarantee the haters wrong. Yeah, I will get it done. (laughs) And then I will salivate when I get it done because that's just, that's always been my motivation. So just staying on that hard work ethic, you know, with your job, you're constantly entertaining, uh, building these relationships, doing certain things. How do you stay focused? And um, while you're out there, you know, at the club or doing whatever you're having to do or taking people to football games, how do you stay focused on the end game? Uh, I mean, it's not hard for me because I'm a firm believer in you have to do what you love to do. And I love people and I get people and I understand what motivates people, how to deal with people. And you don't have to concentrate or work hard if you're doing something that you're immersed in and you love to do. And and that's kind of, um, that's kind of been like my big thing is I don't want anybody to work for me that, that has to work at, you know, their job. I want it to almost come naturally. And, you know, when I hire somebody, I don't hire them on what they know necessarily, but I hire them on like what I see their potential is, where's their ceiling, what can they get to? And if you know how, if you know people and you know how to deal with people, I mean, the sky's the limit. It doesn't matter what else, you know, you're going to have a place in the work, work field. So how long have you been at Atlanta beverage? Uh, I've been there for uh, 18 years. Where did you start when you first started with a company? Where where did you start position-wise? Funny story. So I used to own a restaurant, uh, and I purchased the restaurant from my granddad who was retiring. And the restaurant's about five miles from Atlanta Beverage Company. And a lot of the executives and stuff used to come in and uh, eat. And, you know, I, I kind of built a rapport with those guys. And, uh, you know, the restaurant business is super tough. Like, you work a lot of hours. It's long hours. I just had a kid. You know, I was tired of working seven days a week all the time. So um, I reached out to one of them, and, you know, wanting to, you know, start a career, you know. And I left there and started Atlanta Beverage. And uh, back then, Atlanta Beverage was like a waiting list. There's like hundreds of people in line to get a job there. So and everybody back then started at the exact same place, which is a helper on a beer truck. So I went from owning a restaurant, being a business owner to basically sitting in the passenger seat of a truck, driving around, uh, delivering beer all day. So, and then I just kind of worked my way up from there. And, uh, there, there was a lot of steps involved, but, but, uh, a lot of them were people, were people were like, Oh, nobody gets into sales in Atlanta beverage unless they've been here, you know, 10 years. And I'm like, okay, well, watch this. Like, I don't have 10 years to like, wait, sit over here and deliver beer. <laughs> like I need to make money. So watch this. So, so you You've been networking your whole life because when you were a restaurant owner, you said that you, um, you know, right down the street from Atlanta Beverage, you started building rapport with the guys at Atlanta Beverage. I mean, are you always networking? Does it ever turn off? Is that just your nature, you think? (laughs) That's a funny, that's a good question. So, yeah, uh, no, it never turns off. And it's probably one of the things that my wife gets so irritated at me. She's like, I'll be trying to spin something or say something. And we'll, we'll be laying in bed or something. I'll try to spit a story or say something. And she's like, 
you're not at work. Like, I know what you're doing. And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I'm like, come on. Like I'm being genuine. She's like, uh, no, she said, no, you, you're not spinning this to the way you want, to the outcome you want. I'm not letting you do that. And a lot of times she'll go into a conversation like that. So it makes it even doubly hard. If, if, if you go into something and the person's already got their mind made up that you're going to try to convince them to do something. <laughs> so when I introduce you to all my friends, I always call you the unofficial mayor of Atlanta because it seems like you know everybody. You can get into any event. You can get anywhere. You're super well connected. Um, if, in fact, if you ran, I think I'd vote for you. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, they would probably dig up a few things in my closet that would keep me from being a politician. But I'm sorry. So where do you think uh, – where do you think Atlanta beverage is going to take you the, over the net? You know, been there 18 years. Where's your, the future hold? Man, honestly, it's, uh, I'm, I'm really happy with where I'm at. And I, I don't know that, that I want to go, uh, any higher. I mean, it's, uh, that's crazy to say. And I never thought I'd say that in my life, but I'm, I'm always one up for a challenge. And I think my next challenge is going to be, reverting back to what I was doing when I was too young to do it, which is being a proprietor and owning my own thing. Because the one thing that, that people tell me all the time is they're like, man, if you work this hard for somebody else and you care this much for somebody else's business, dude, what would you do if you owned your own business? And that kind of resonates with me. And I kind of, in my head, like, I wonder like, yeah, what would I do? <laughs> like, I mean, I, I, cause I just am always on trying to, do everything I can for Atlanta beverage. Um, our biggest competitor in the city, United distributing, they're, they're a magnificent wholesaler and very formidable opponent. Probably one of the toughest competitive opponents in the country. If you look around at all the AB wholesalers around the country and a large part of that is because they have a massive uh, spirits portfolio. Um, they have world-class beers, sweet water, uh, law, stuff like that, but they are really relationship based. And it's like the it's like kryptonite. Like the one thing you can't do is sell around somebody else's relationship. In other words, what I mean by that is if I go into an account that they have a relationship with and I start to speak with them and there's boundaries put up where you're not going to get past those boundaries because they're not going to take those boundaries down because they already have that established relationship. The same way people come in and try to take my business all the time and I won't let or you know, I don't have to be there. But my reputation and what the proprietor thinks of me will keep the other people from stealing my business. Hard all the time and you're swinging for the fences all the time when you're going to strike out a lot. And I have some pretty big fall on uh, my face failures, uh, two in particular that I'm thinking of, and I'm trying to sit here in my head and figure out whether I want to tell y'all or not, because I don't know that a lot of people know, uh, know these, the, the, know these failures. Um, but honestly, uh, two, and you're absolutely right. So my failures have catapulted me to, to be the person I am. And without them, I'm 100% sure I would not be where I'm at today. So, uh, you know, that's that's just that's well, saying that. So just, without without getting into them, uh, what did you do to overcome those failures, and how did you bounce back? Yeah, so it's funny. Uh, one of the one of the failures was, uh, ah, God, it was, maybe it was ten years ago. 
yeah, no, it was 2007. So our company is, uh, everybody has, you know, we have a fleet, right? So anytime you have a fleet, your insurance at your company is very strict. And, um, I had had a prescription for something and, uh, I didn't take all of my prescription. Well, then I took some of the medication, um, and then just randomly went into the office to take, you know, a drug test. And like, I didn't even think about it. You know, I'm like, oh yeah, this is great. This is good. Go and take it. And it comes back. And, uh, for one of the things that our company does really strict, it comes back for, um, some kind Meth. of, yeah, well, it's like a, <laughs> not quite that, but it's some kind of like, uh, a painkiller, like medication that was in my system. So, um, they basically said, look, there's nothing we can do. You know, our lawyers are involved. So I, I left Atlanta Beverage for exactly six months. And the reason it was exactly six months is because I, I resigned. I left the company and uh, I kind of freelance, went some, did, did some other things for some other uh, wholesalers around town. And um, they, uh, the guy had already, uh, the sales manager, uh, vice president of the company already told me, he's like, man, six months in one day, you're back here. So, um, but at that point, like, I felt like I really like let my family down. Right. Like I was like, dude, this, sure. you know, why, why did you do this? And it wasn't something that, that was like, I was doing carelessly or whatever. Some I didn't even think of, but you know, but now, you know, when I have a, a prescription or whatever, and when it's, <laughs> when it's done, no matter what this is inspired, I just throw it away. Cause I'm like, it was a mistake. And they knew that it wasn't something that was like, being abused. So I left for six months, came back. And at that point, when I came back, I was like a rabid dog. Like, cause I felt like I'd lost a lot of momentum and a lot of respect and a lot of everything. And I just, I tore through the field. Like I just, I crushed everything I did and, uh, you know, got, got, got in front of the right people. And, uh, you know, it, you have to wake up in life with a purpose every day. And, and I think, right before that had happened, I was kind of like, you get comfortable, especially when you get in management roles at businesses and, and, and you get comfortable and everything, you know, you kind of put it on cruise control. And I'm a firm believer in do one thing every day that scares the hell out of you. Because like, if you don't, then you just get very complacent. And I was pretty complacent when I left, when that had happened to me. And when I came back, it was like a two year, just tear of just crushing everything and everybody in my way so and that's really probably what made my mark um with atlanta beverage and within the industry that's crazy so you talk about being complacent but and one of your biggest failures within the within your career but it also catapulting you and being the force behind your success also it is i mean dude that that is 100 percent, and like i you know, I have kids and I wonder, like, if you don't ever like hit rock bottom or you don't ever feel any pain, then you don't know what it feels like. And so you kind of have a, a perception of, oh, well, that'll never happen to me or I, I won't ever be that way. But like, I want to so bad take my kids and like take all their luxuries away from them just so they can see like what it is to want and need for something. Because I do think that's one of the biggest problems with our younger generation is they, everything's handed to them and comes so easy for them and they don't feel any of that pain. And without feeling the pain, like it's so hard to appreciate where you're at and where you're going. And we protect them from failure. Like so many people like yeah. that. I don't remember that actress who paid for her kid to get into USC. And, oh my God. Yeah. Who's supposed to go to jail for two weeks. But like, 
two weeks? Is it? They just gave her two weeks. That's it, man. It's fine. So I wish I could. I wish Jeez. I managed my kids like I manage my employees at my office. Um, I, I'm very forgiving at my office, and I try to never cast any criticism. I always try to to, to find the positive in everything because people, you know, people. The first thing they do when you're criticized is you shut down and you you're not responsive. So I try to never criticize anybody for anything. Andrew will tell you the one caveat to that is when I step on the baseball field as a coach or in between the lines, like I lose my mind. So <laughs> I mean, I don't know why that is, but that just, that just does that to me. Funny story. A couple of years ago, we were playing a tournament. I coached Joey's uh, youngest son is on my team. Him, his youngest son and my oldest are friends. And I don't remember what the call was, but Joey was just, you know, a dad in the stands and spoke up because he didn't agree with the umpire's call. They get into an argument. Umpire tosses them. And it was right near near Halloween. We were playing in fall ball. He tosses them and tells them, you know, to go to the parking lot. He can he can watch the game from his car or he can leave the park. Period. So <laughs> Joey goes back to his car. You're that guy. Yeah, he's that guy. <laughs> Unfortunately. So I like I see Joey walking out of the park and getting to his car and leaving and I continue coaching and I'm coaching third base a couple innings later and I look up and there's a guy behind the fence wearing a, a smiley face mask. <laughs> Joey. Yeah, he went to the he went to the costume store, bought a smiley face like an emoji mask and came back and watched the game from behind the fence. <laughs> that was Excellent. great. The, the funny awesome. part about it was when they we won and when we won we were they were shaking hands or whatever and i walked out there in the emoji mask and the umpire wanted to like like say something to me so bad but he just looked at me and smiled and smirked like what are you doing <laughs> that's pretty funny um hey i want to circle back to something that you just said you you'd said you're a firm believer in like doing something that makes you uncomfortable every day um you know what's What's like one of the wildest, craziest, or just different types of things that you do that you feel kind of contributes to your success? Well, I mean, honestly, it is, uh, it's, it's one of my best assets. And for whatever reason, God gave me the gift of gab, <laughs> basically just always talking. And, and the, one, of the, one of the craziest things that people will tell me is that I have no fear when it comes to talking to people. Like, whether it be the CEO of Anheuser-Busch Global or, you know, the mayor or I don't I don't get intimidated by people and their titles. And I, I, that's usually when I shine is when I think everybody else is kind of, uh, you know, holding back or scared to ask a question or scared to talk about this or that. I just I I'm not scared. I'll ask a question, whether it be a, a, a question or a criticism, I will give it. And it's, you know, it's good and it's bad um, because certain people take uh, take things the wrong way. But when we're talking to Anheuser-Busch and we're wanting to do do something, a uh, perfect example is Anheuser-Busch is uh, obviously uh, owner of Wicked Weed Brewing out of Asheville. So they're supposed to be, pu- be putting a, uh, a brew pub on the Beltline here in Atlanta. Beltline's a big, uh, you know, just community trail path that is in five years will end up connecting the whole city 
28 mile trail. So, um, and it's real important for us to get this brew pub built because right now everybody wants a local. What, what do you have local? What do you have local? We have a lot of locals, but they don't have a lot of the resources Anheuser-Busch has. So getting this, this uh, wicked weed thing is imperative. And uh, we, we were in a meeting and we, we, were, we were on a video conference call with, uh, with Brendan Whitworth and a bunch of the Anheuser-Busch guys in New York. And I just basically looked up and I'm like, guys, I mean, I got to ask a question. Like, what are y'all doing? Like, y'all have all these resources and all this money and y'all can't get this brew pub open. Like, you've been messing around with it for two years. Like, it really makes y'all look incompetent. And, and I sat back and like, I was like, when I said it, I'm like, oh shit, like, who's going to say what? <laughs> What's about to happen? <laughs> and uh, the regional vice president, Anson Frerich says, he leans up, he says, Joey, I couldn't agree with you more. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, what are we, like, what is going on? And so he starts screaming at the, the state director for Anheuser-Busch, like, Paul, I need you to get, I need you to get on the horn. I need you to find out what's going on with this. I want to answer like within the next week. And none of that would have ever happened if somebody didn't have the courage to like say what they were thinking, you know, because a lot of people sit in meetings and they think stuff and they never have the courage to say it. I don't, I don't yeah. work like that. Like if it's on my mind, I'm going to say it. Right. Or probably, wrong. probably wait to say something that they think people want to hear instead of what they're actually thinking or feeling. Yeah. And that's another, that's another big thing for me is I, you have to be genuine. Like in my business and what in any business, like one of the best traits of anyone is to be genuine. And I can spot a fake from a mile away, whether it's a, you know, uh, a competitor, somebody that works within our company, one of the suppliers, like I can spot fakes really easy. And one of the things that people always tell me, um, it's probably the number one thing that they say about me is that I'm genuine and they can tell that I'm genuine from the start to finish. And, uh, I, I take a lot of pride in that because to me, it's a huge part of my success. So you're, because of because of the nature of your job, you're involved a lot with basically everything that's going on because alcohol and all that stuff is mainly for nightlife. Um, how do you maintain your mindset and your work ethic? And, you know, because from an outside look, looking in, you're, you're at concerts, you're at sporting events, and it might seem to somebody that doesn't know you that you're just like, out there having the best time of your life, but you're really working when you're at these things and you're entertaining customers and you're continuing to build relationships and continuing to network and providing that service you talked about earlier. How do you maintain the balance between those two? So, so two parts to this. Um, one part is absolutely being out and being seen is imperative to growing a company. And I'm trying to grow this 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 wholesaler into something big because we sell a lot of wine a lot of spirits that don't have the national names that some of the other houses have so being out is imperative every time i'm out networking at least one or two things beneficially happen either i run into somebody that's opening a new spot or somebody introduces me to somebody that helps me down the road but it's imperative but the second part of that is 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 what tears at my heart all the time um about five years ago, I, I think I was driving, uh, riding, my wife was driving and we were, it was about the time where everybody graduates, they're doing commencement speeches and stuff like that. And for whatever reason, I was listening to this person speak and they said that, you know, you can't be good 
at multiple things. Like you can't be killing it in business and killing it at home. And that that's the hardest part for me because what Andrew's saying is I'm out all the time. Well, when I'm out, I obviously not with my kids, right? So I I am crushing what I do professionally, very good at it, but it's it's at the sacrifice of of my family and especially of my kids, whether it be showing up to every event they have or to to doing stuff because that's the one thing that stuck with me forever. You can't, there's no way, there's no human being out there that can absolutely dominate as both like a parent and professionally. It's just impossible. If you want to be at the level that, that at the top of the, you know, it takes some sacrifice. hundred percent. Yeah. It was funny. So I actually last night was watching a, Flipping through channels and HBO Sports had an hour-long special, and it was Belichick and Saban, and they're just sitting in Nick Saban's basement because you know they coached together at the on the Browns prior to each one of them kind of you know Saban going to LSU and getting a national championship a couple years later, and Belichick starting his run with the Patriots, and that was one of the biggest things that Saban brought up was just that you know his success is was solely dependent on his sacrifice and his family understanding that he was making that sacrifice for multiple reasons, but them being one of the the biggest reasons. And like you said, I think to be at the top, that's just kind of what it takes. So funny story. I was listening to Steak Shapiro today. Um, he's a, a local uh, radio personality and uh, I have a relationship with him through networking. Obviously he does Atlanta Eats, which is uh a big, uh, they have Instagram. He's always in bars and restaurants. So we, we partner with him and do some stuff, but I was listening to him this morning and he was telling me he was just ripping the day, uh, Le'Veon, Le'Veon Bell. Bell. Okay. Sorry. I don't want that name. So Le'Veon Bell, he was just ripping Le'Veon Bell apart. Cause apparently last week, you know, Le'Veon Bell had the flu, right? So, um, he didn't, he didn't play in Sunday's game Saturday night. He's got the flu. So, he was caught out. Somebody took a picture of him out with his kids bowling. And I mean, Steak Shapiro's just ripping him, man. This guy, they're they're having a losing season. He gets paid all these millions of dollars. Why is he not at home or why is he not in the team meetings or whatever? And that's that's my exact point. Like, whatever the perception is, he the guy was trying to spend time with his kids and his family bowling, right? And he had the flu and he wasn't going to play that next day. They didn't want him in the locker room. They didn't want him around. So he went bowling with his kids and and now he's just taking just massive just heat for doing that because everybody's like, oh, you make all these millions of dollars. You should be studying tape. You should be doing that. Well, dude, so what he makes millions of dollars? Like, why shouldn't he go spend time with his kids and go bowling? Like, I don't, you know, that's, I think that's the yeah. perception a lot of times. It's and they're, everybody's so hard on everybody else too. It's it's a, it's easy for that guy to say it on the radio. I bet guarantee if Le'Veon Bell sitting right in front of him, he wouldn't say yeah, any of that. You're stuff. probably right. That's the one. That's the one thing I don't like about some of those personality, the sports people. But so I kind of want to transition to kind of the fun side. I mean, yeah, it sucks. It's work. You got to be away from the family, but being out and about doing some stuff. I know you rub elbows with a lot of celebrities, a lot of cool people. Um, tell us about some of those experiences. Who's the coolest celebrity you've ever, uh, you've ever got to hang out with? Oh man. Let's see. Uh, yeah, it's a, 
super, super blessed to be where I'm at and getting to go see a lot of events. Um, I think I'm going to the Super Bowl this year. This would be the third Super Bowl in a row I've been to. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell you, like, one of the craziest people that I've ever hung out with is uh, Gronkowski's little brother. And I don't remember his name, but <laughs> this guy is out of control. We show up at uh, in Minneapolis. It's like negative 40 degrees. Um, we show up uh, <laughs> to, the, to the Maxim Magazine party. I'll never forget it. It was like ice on the ground, like snow banks, like a foot, two foot tall in the, in the bushes or whatever. And this guy gets out in like a pink suit and he's just, he don't have the shirt on. He's just got like the, <laughs> the coat on. And, uh, he do that guy. Just, he has no, no quit. Uh, super, super good guy though. Funny man. Uh, you know, a lot of the people that, that, that I've met over time, um, whether they be nightclub owners or whatever, um, it's funny because the one thing, the one common denominator with all of them is their ability to deal with people. And, um, you know, like, uh, David Kreidler comes to example with the owner of Tony Groove nightclub, uh, here in Atlanta, they, they've been around, they just had their 25th anniversary and, uh, they always look at you and they always make you feel important when they're talking to you. Um, but you know, Harry Douglas, another really cool guy that used to, you know, play for the Falcons, Roddy White, yeah. um, a lot of these guys frequent the same clubs I do. <laughs> uh, so I've got over the years got to know Andrew Jones with the Braves, and um, it was funny. One night we're out at the club, and uh, he was uh, you know at a table I was at, and I was with my wife, you know, and my wife's kind of more uh, you know data entry, customer service, but kind of over the phone, um, and you know she doesn't meet as many people as I do, so she automatically starts going up to Andrew Jones and like talking to him about like what what our kids have done and every home run they hit and this that and other and i'm looking at andrew jones and he's just being like super nice and engaging and like yeah yeah like instead of like looking around like when is this lady gonna shut up about her kids and go on he's like really engaged and uh, i'll never forget that like after she, i think my wife went to the bathroom or something and i went up to him and i said man i know that was painful i appreciate it just like wrote it because you know if you don't like, I treat all the people I meet the same. So somebody will introduce me to, I met little John, um, at Christmas, not at Christmas, right after Christmas, it was right before the Super Bowl. Um, we had a big, uh, a big Super Bowl party for our company that we threw at Tony Groove where little John played. And, uh, you know, I, I talked to him and got to hang out with a man and I just treat people the same way that I, I don't, you know, I think kissing ass is like, it's it's so bad and people know it's like so not just genuine like people don't people don't realize it sometimes but like yeah. people that are celebrities they know you want to like be yeah, yeah. and, and if you're trying to impress yeah. them like it's automatically it's doing the opposite of what you're trying to do so um you know people are coming up to little john like this you know this that but i was just basically talking to him like an atlantean and uh you know another one big boy from outcast same way like super super laid back, cool guy. Um, got to spend, you know, five or 10 minutes with him. Um, I feel like when I meet these people, like the number one thing is don't ask them a bunch of questions like, Oh, well treat them like a person, other person. Yeah. Like, what kind of cars do you have? Or, uh, you know, what's, what's this or that? Or, you know, just like talk to them about like normal shit and like, they'll be responsive. So. Cool. Hey, did little John? What's little little John's voice sound like? It actually talking? sounds just like he. Uh, it actually just sounds like he is when he's talking, and <laughs> he's 
or, or you know when he's, <laughs> when, when, he, when he's rapping or whatever it he is so like charismatic when he's talking to you and uh he loves to he loves tequila That's so awesome. we ended up sitting there doing i think we did like yeah shots, shots, we did like shots, three shots, four shots, shots. Of, three or four shots of tequila together and then um and black you know, out and <laughs> yeah well that, that's another thing over the years i have a tolerance for for alcohol so uh you know i can i can hang in there most, yeah can hang with the best most of guys <laughs> sweet I'm trying to think you guys caught me off the spot i should have thought about that a long time ago but uh, we'll probably be going on in the next five or 10 minutes and I'll yell out another like really cool celebrity story. I just, I gotta, I'm trying to process all the the different people I've met and probably the biggest disappointment that I've ever met is my wife and I, um, we have certain shows, you know, at night we'll lay in bed and watch TV and my wife loves Guy Fieri, right? Like has always loved like the, the, the cooking <laughs> show, like whatever he does where they're yeah, yeah, well, there's, yeah, exactly. Well, there's that one. There's the one where they do the cooking contest or whatever. But like, I met him in Minneapolis as well, dude. He is a jackass. Like, I, I mean, yes. What? And like, really? you know how you like meet people and you're like have this perception, like, oh, this guy's gonna be super cool. Like, I could see him like hanging out with me. And I think it was the night. I want to be fair yeah. to him. I think it was the night that uh, that I met him. They had messed up his table at one of the big events at a party oh. and he was walking around with some uh, people with the venue, like trying to find his table in his area. And, and uh, man, he, it was, he was, he was just a jerk when I met him. So, and I think he'd had a little bit too much to drink that night as well. So that could have, uh, I could have played a little bit into it. I'm, ne- I'm never eating his burgers on a carnival cruise on again. No, and I love his stuff, man. <laughs> I didn't have the heart to come home and tell my wife that, though, about him because she loves him. So I didn't want to like break her heart. All right, Joey, time for our favorite section of the show the gauntlet. This is 60 seconds of random questions where Johnny and I are the only judge and jury. Good luck. Bud Light Lamaritas or Bud Gelatas? Bud Lamaritas. Chuck Taylors or Vans? Vans. The Goo Goo Dolls or oh, Train? Uh, let's go Train. Where are you going on your next vacation? Colorado. All right, favorite EDM <laughs> music? Uh, dubstep for sure. I hate the, I hate all the traditionalists that like the house music. I listen to house music, but dubstep all the way. I like Shaq, DJ Diesel. Uh, is DJ Gary, Diesel. Do you think? Yeah, hell yeah, I like Shaq too. Is Garrett Cole worth two hundred or three hundred? No, no. Anytime they do these secondary deals, it always blows them in their face. He's an awesome pitcher, and he might be for two years, but then he's going to hit a wall. He's going to be the next Cole Hamill. Dude, I can't believe it. That's big time. Sixty seconds. All right, Joey, that's all the time we have for this show today. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on and spending some time with us, man. We appreciate it. I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys having me. It was a lot of fun. Joey, appreciate your time today, man. Really good insight. I think our audience can definitely take a lot away from uh, what you said today. I really like the point about challenging complacency and attacking each day and getting out of your comfort zone. So thanks again for your time, man. Should we play that music? Let's do it.
That's pretty good. We'll get there. 